Welcome to 2021, where time travel isn't a thing. We would travel to the future, get technology and design pioneers from 2050 to teach us how to build a brilliant tomorrow. But that's against the rules of physics. Instead, we bring you the pioneers of today, tech enthusiasts, creatives, entrepreneurs, and listen to their individual stories, their purpose, and how they became the change makers they are today in their industry, and learn about what inspires them and how they function. This is the See You Tomorrow podcast. Welcome to the See You Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Katrina Logie. I'm a creative entrepreneur and a catalyst for change. And I get inspired by interviewing people who are creating change for tomorrow's world. The See You Tomorrow podcast is powered by Harbour Space, the university of the future. Find out more at harbour.space. Today on the See You Tomorrow podcast, we are talking with Diego Marini, who is the co-founder and creative director at Yummy Colours. What a name. <laughs> and you are now teaching a three-week course at Harbour Space on brand experiences mm-hmm. and designing brand experiences. So first of all, Diego, thank you for joining us today on the See You Tomorrow podcast. Thank you. And you are originally from Verona mm-hmm. in Italy. So tell us a little bit about you, you know, your life growing up in, in Verona. It was interesting because, you know, my dad um, is, now he's retired, but he was like a printer. And so I grew up uh, all my life around like the smell of ink, you know, like printing facilities. So since I was five or six, I was going with him like to like, you know, seeing, smelling, touching, you know, talking with printers. So I really, it was embedded in me, like this idea of like, you know, graphic design printing element, right? And I always enjoyed like, you know, the the technology behind, the smell behind, the color behind. So when I had to decide what to do in life, I went to like a very, uh, a graphic design school, most on the technical side, learning like, you know, printing techniques, you know, it was at the time where like, it's nice now I'm dating myself, but like it was at the time where um, the physical way of creating graphic design was becoming digital, right? It was mm-hmm. the first like Photoshop version, you know, so they were teaching you both like, you know, analog reproduction and, uh, you know, like the digital reproduction of images. So they were both teaching you how to use Photoshop for the first time, but also like the camera obscura and like, you know, the film, the developing and stuff. So that also like helped me get an incredible technical knowledge of the process because Mm -hmm. you were seeing, you know, the physical element of it. And after you were doing the exact same process digitally, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you were having like, you know, okay, this is made by light. This is made by pixels, but it's the exact translation, right? So yeah. that was like, I think is missing in the, in the new digital world where you don't have a physical and tactile element until you make it. But, you know, you have this, this, this idea. So I was lucky to be at that stage of design in the world 
And your father was obviously doing the old school design. Exactly. I mean, he was printing. He was printing. It was like, you know, I was from like leather press to lithography to, you know, like to offset printing. So all these like techniques that they were like, you know, from like hand building lines of letters, you know, to like literally creating like, you know, like the plates and everything. So it's really like beautiful that I grew up with this printed word around mm. me, you know. Mm. Like. And, and it's great, actually, that when you when you talk about like a camera obscura, I think it's very it's like when you're learning to take photos. Isn't exactly. It? And you, it's very good to understand how the manual side of the camera works before understanding the digital side of it. Exactly. So it's exactly that. I yeah. mean, translated in yeah. how we see things. But it's good to understand the, the, the basics. Of exactly. It. And think about like my first internship was like um creating manual mask on film for analog retouching right so it was really painting on top of films wow. silhouetting manually things to be retouched manually like so it was like you know like it's crazy like how the world has evolved you know probably the company now doesn't exist anymore because it was like all films and stuff so it's really like the coming from analog to digital you know at that exact time right so 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 from an early age you actually enjoyed yeah. the design through your through your father exactly your mother was she working at the time she was not working she worked later and she started working you know like as a like uh, in a bakery and um, she, we're four siblings, right? So she oh. was taking care of us until we were at an age where we were able to take care of ourselves. Uh, but yeah, she was around as well. You know, this world, she understands a lot, like, you know, graphic design and printing. So yeah, because she, she was uh, married to it. Exactly. And, and your siblings, are they all spot? Are they all, you know, sparse? Are they still in Verona or have they moved? Yeah, they're mostly in Verona. Like they are nor Northern Italy, you know, like still, and none of them is in the, like, you know, creative industry. Uh, like they have like, you know, a salesperson, you know, like, uh, uh, an accounting person you know like they're different in different like um domain which is makes us all interesting right because it's like i'm the only one who stayed in the lane uh of uh, of creativity so yeah. so you, you inherited that from yeah your, from your dad exactly nice mm. at least someone did <laughs> exactly yeah no but it's like you know and this also is nice because my parents they, what i always love about my parents there was never like uh, an expectation on us right and they were like do whatever you want you That's know great. There, was, there was no like you would need to follow the steps you know like or something it was always like do what as, feels right exactly as soon as you're happy do whatever you want R wonderful wonderful and then so basically you then went on to work in paris exactly and in that was in 2003 yeah and tell us a bit about your life in paris and you know what you were that was another another idea of like you know italy is beautiful and again as as, as we talked before like italy is a place to be on vacation but sometimes you feel very like you know um, my partner always said something I really like, you know, she said, Italy looks like an abandoned Broadway theater. You know that one time it was great, you know, but now when you come in, you have this feeling, this feeling of grandeur, 
but without and but it's not used anymore it's abandoned right yeah. like so it feels italy feels a little bit like that where it's like you know it's a beautiful country people are beautiful these things but it feels stuck in the past you know like and it feels like that it has this difficulty to evolve you know as other countries do so it's a shame isn't it it is a shame it is a very shame because i i love italy a lot but the, this idea of like you know going with the flow and going with the ability of you know like a lot of friends that i have in italy that have a studio and agency they are because of the like structure of laws and structure of like uh, again not being evolved with the time you know creating a company in italy it's a burden you know it's not like a fa they, they, the the italian system doesn't facilitate at all you know entrepreneurship and after you see there are a lot of beautiful italian company but it's not like you know us france as well you know like uh denmark you arrive you can create a company in a fairly easy way you know like uh spain spain is a little bit like Italy. <laughs> yeah i have i have my line right i think like everything below paris is good for vacation everything above paris is good for working right like oh, in a way that yeah. is like um the nordic system or exactly. whatever yeah well, yeah the northern sort of system is better more efficient more efficient you know and more like you know again the the now now that i'm living in denmark you know like the system is adapted two times right they have like this kind of like it's called nemi day you can log in with the same login and password on every uh state or like uh, public account and you can get any document you have like a digital signature for document that is assigned to you by the government you know and is all digital all done by you know like on your phone you have a two system authentication it's amazing like in italy you still have to go in line and maybe you get a document in time you know like we are like 20 30 years behind you know every other country in terms of like yes you know yes. like uh working in there this is where countries need to sort of learn from other countries exactly yeah. they don't have to they don't have to invent anything it exists somewhere else you just yeah. need to apply it exactly. you know, like, uh, it's like they don't need to reinvent the wheel no, no so then the so then you moved to paris and and tell us about your work experience in paris so in paris was like the bohemian here like <laughs> like I, I moved to paris because i wanted to try something else than Italy right some other like uh, opening you know my vision meeting new people trying a different way of working so I landed there and I met a group of friends that they were like really uh, you know helpful and educational for me in a way that is like they they start thinking telling me to think about how do you want to work you know, do you want to be an employee? Do you want to freelance? You know, and I was like, I never freelance, you know, so I don't know how to do it. Mm. So they helped me to like navigate this new freelance life in a different country. Um, I'd never been employed in uh, in Paris. I start freelancing, you know, again, going back to this France help you to be a freelance in a much easier way than Italy. So they told me like you need to do different steps and you can be a freelance. I was like, great, let's try this freelance work. And so I started working a different way in Paris. And again, I was experimenting as well. You know, I was in Italy, I was working for a small agency around, you know, fashion there, you know, 
you need to kind of survive. So I was working like I work for like, you know, bigger agency like DDB or BBDO for small projects, uh, small digital agencies. But after I started working for like architecture firm, you know, I started working for Capgemini in financial services uh, as a designer and graphing consultant, you know, in this world called ASC, Accelerated Solution Environment. Mm -hmm. uh, where we were doing like these crazy uh, workshops, you know, with co with big company uh, and facilitating um, through a method, you know, big problems, problem solving. Uh, so, for example, design thinking. Exactly. OK. Design thinking. Uh, yeah, exactly. That method, design thinking, iter iterative, you know, like uh, solutions. So it was usually three to five days of super immersive uh, problem solving. But I participated to workshop like the merging of KLM and Air France, like where the, the big CEOs and the, and the global leadership team was coming together to solve, you know, how do we merge the check-in of the two company? How do we merge the logistic? You know, all this kind of like incredible. And when you are presented at that level of problem solving or you are witnessing, you know, you're not even doing anything. You are just like facilitating and helping, you know, the conversation, the visualization and everything. But it start bringing you in this strategic thinking, right? And this idea of like, OK, brand needs not just a beautiful design, but they need a ground um, work around who they are. So you start understanding branding better, mm. right? And you start evolving your idea of like design for the sake of designing and designing with a meaning, right? Yes. And and the design is not just a beautiful representation, but it's something that has like, you know, it's solving a problem. I heard so many people in this podcast so yes. using the same things. We're solving a problem. Yeah. And that is absolutely what we're doing. Um, so that's that's what I learned in Paris, right? I started learning and working in different environments to, you know, like and expanding my horizon on how to work in different situations in domain also that I had no knowledge, right? Because I had no knowledge. But you got a lot of good experience exactly. working with these big brands and you were freelance as well. Yes, I see. So how do you I mean, in terms of freelance and working and owning your own company, have you have you ever I mean you've always worked freelance and then owned your own company or have you actually been after when I moved to New York uh, for a visa for a visa um, uh, like because you cannot be arriving in the US and being a freelance right off the bat you need to have a green card so when you, you needed to be sponsored exactly when you need to be sponsored I need to work for a company so I arrived in New York and I started working for Diane von Fustenberg uh, in fashion, you know, through connection that I made in Paris to the creative director that I work with, uh, that I work with in Paris. I landed that. You were in, in Paris for seven years. Yes. I see. It's funny, actually, because it comes to think of it. My brother t took the same path as you. Um, yeah. He was working in Paris for LVMH and then he moved to New York. Pretty much more or less the same time, like a year before you. Oh, nice. And left New York last year. So you there see? you go. You're, you're living parallel lives. Exactly. I need to meet your brother. You do. <laughs> you definitely do. 
So, um, yeah, so Diane von Fistenberg, who was through a contact. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about the experience of working with her and fashion. Because, I mean, you've talked about working with big brands and sort of architecture. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm interested to know the kind of work that you actually really enjoy. Because obviously Mm -hmm. you've worked with so many different areas. Kind of like what is your, your area that you really sort of feel that it it's kind of your kind of work your line of work i don't think i have an area that's what i also tell to the students right and i think there is this idea of like you know generalist versus you know specialist and i came to you know for many years a lot of people tell, keep telling you in the industry you need to specialize you need to specialize you need to specialize you can get a better client and it's true i mean i'm not saying it's not true but it's also in my case less enjoyable uh, this idea of staying generalist, what I enjoyed in my entire career is the chances that I had, right? A lot of the time I entered, entered in situation because I was at the right place at the right time. So do you believe in, in chance? Oh yeah a, yeah, a lot. You know, like, uh, I mean, I believe that you can create your own chance, but at the same time, you know, like, again, Paris, these experiences I made it because I met certain people and, you know, I proved that I was working well. And so they invited me to this, like, you know, like Cap Gemini and, and, uh, and you met uh, the right people. Exactly. Did it, was it easy to find work in Paris? Um, again, is more net is easier than in Italy, but it's still by, you know, a second degree network, you know, you know, somebody that, that recommends you and, you know, like the vouches for you. And right. I feel that in general, I, I come to realize now after like uh, almost 20 years in the things that the second degree network is your best business card. Definitely. Uh, so if you have somebody that is trusted by the third party that tells you work with this person. You can it can get a way a much longer way than you know like you try to cold reach you're doing a good job etc et so yeah, I, feel, yeah. I believe in the second degree network like, definitely uh, it does it helps if you have the right contacts mm-hmm. and i mean i'm just asking about paris because obviously i mean the parisians it can be quite hard to yeah to... Uh, in paris i had like a very hard time being away from the like it was through an international community right so italians you know australians uh british it was very international it was very difficult to crack the french uh you know like community um and this is the major difference between paris and new york right yes new york is like maybe because you know a lot of people are not from new york maybe because it's new york but there is this kind of like we are all in together and we are helping each other and it's very much like you know like oh i want to i want to know and i want to meet as many people as possible versus in paris that happened within the international community but the french are a little bit on the margin of yeah. that you know like they uh, don't they don't integrate exactly well. yeah it started to have like a friendship once you become friend you know you are a friend but it's hard to, it's a, it's a hard nut to crack. It, totally. But you enjoyed living in Paris. Oh, yeah. I love it. And, and having worked for, for some, you know, quite sort of big clients, Eastpac and, and, and mm-hmm. fashion designers. Yeah. How did you end up then making the shift to, to New York? Again, life, you know, I met, I met my partner 
and uh, you know she studied in New York uh, she studied in New York and she always wanted to go back and so it took two or three years to get acquainted with the idea of like moving to New York but after I was like why not you know like uh, it's let's it's do it. It, yeah. let's do it and since we arrived it was just the time like you know like the it took me I think one week to get like I send like you know cold you know uh, resume around one week later I had like lined up like interviews Wow. And uh, people were like calling you. They wanted to meet you. You know, I was shocked. Like, Amazing. you know, like because it was like, again, in Paris, I think I sent when I arrived to Paris, I sent 180 uh, resume and I got three answer. And one of which was, yeah, I, we need to see you because your resume is so poorly written that we want to see who is that person. So no, really? <laughs> that was the answer from the, the French. Uh, I got that job anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after when I arrived to New York, you know, it was really like, you know, meeting people, talking to people, like uh, having people that I was going to to interview telling me, oh, you are not the right fit for here, but you could apply there. Right. Nice. Crazy. So people yeah. willing to help. Exactly. It's so beautiful. And it's great that all the I mean, I'm you know read, reading about all the um, the brands that you worked for, as well as I mean, that you say variety and, and learning from different areas, different industries. Yeah. You also work with Green Greenpeace. Yes. You? Yeah. So how was that? In, in Paris, again, another like. Uh, yeah, the more the more I talk about about like my my things, it was really like trial and error and being the right place in the right time. So I wrote, they posted about like, they need a graphic designer and I wrote them and I said, I have my own practice. I have, my, I can't give you five days a week, but, and you can't pay me for five days. A week. They were looking for a junior designer, but I was like, what about if we do three days a week? And I know I'm more senior than what you're looking. So I fit your budget. And with my seniority, I can do the work that you will have a junior done in five days in three. And they say yes. So I was going in, I was talking with the project manager at the time saying, prepare the work. I come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When I arrived, we talk about what I have to do and I do it, right? And they were super happy because it was like, you know, they were having a senior designer, an art director. So I was not just doing and coming and doing what I have to do. I was thinking, I was giving them like more direction, direction and more, uh, you know, like thorough design than just executing. So they were really enjoying having me there, like uh, for the, for the, the the two years. And for me, it was also the first time I worked for like a non-profit organization right. and it was really nice to see you know when you have to like create a message that doesn't have like to sell yeah you know yes to convince you have to educate people so it was really a, a two-way street in terms of learning right so i was learning a lot on how to communicate concepts that has to educate in a succinct and beautiful way and for them, it was having, you know, like a, a senior designer at the price of like a junior, right? So it was a win-win for both of us. And to a point that in the middle of that, like um, they were re they were redoing the global the global website. Uh -huh. And so they are start they start sending me to Amsterdam uh, to 
be part of the team around the global the global redesign Amazing. and uh, and it was again another opportunity for me to go to Amsterdam spend some times in there and being part of the you know this this global great another thing. great city exactly you know yeah. like so I had to I had to like that's how I say like uh, I love being a journalist because I ended up in situation that I didn't plan yeah and I work in 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 places with opportunities that I was like if yeah. I was a specialist, I would probably not have had it because yeah. it's like, you know, I would have been in a line of work that was that specific. Yeah. Okay. So, so being, do you think, you know, being general, you, I think what I'm getting the impression is you're quite open mm. to things. Yes. I mean, in, and do you think being open to things obviously helps with opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like um, because I think so many people get sort of set in their sort of you know where they want to go or their direction mm -hmm. that they miss opportunities. Yeah, and I think well, how you are with life being more kind of like yes, I'm going to try this um, sector or you know mm -hmm. this experience. You know, it kind of gives you that broad perspective, mm -hmm. and also kind of like willingness to try things out and take one experience from you know one brand and take it to another yeah, right. and and the idea is also like you know i'm very honest with with uh, my clients or the people that approach me i always said i don't know everything i don't know every uh sector and i will you know do research and learn to get into your into your sector if you like the work i do and uh I'm also realistic, right? As I know that a lot of clients don't want to work with people that don't have an experience. So if I get approached by a brand where I don't have an experience, I am also realistic in the fact that I might not, not get that client, right? So it's also like balancing expectation yes. and, uh, you know, like uh, opportunity. So I'm not get upset. I, I learned not to get upset if I lose a client, you know, and because I don't have any expectation, you know, like so I put my expectation way lower, you know, and do my best um under promising over delivering you know? yes <laughs> i understand yeah that's a good good way to look at it and you know having worked with sort of so many um you know different sectors which, which you know clients have you enjoyed working with the most and you know you worked in fashion and you worked yeah i think to me it's more like you know and goes back to also the yummy colors mission right what impact did we create for the client, right? And I think to me it's more like I enjoy the most the client that we have like to really affect their business, that really affect their communication, really affect their like uh, um, branding, right? So to create an impact, you know, it doesn't matter what sector you are. Yeah. It's more like can we have can we have made a big difference to your brand and at that point it makes it makes me proud it makes me happy it makes me want to do more right, right. like we launched last year afterpay a global uh, fintech company rebranding and for them we work for one year uh, on their business on their mission on their strategy on their like you know elements and we work with every single department in that company you know hr um, sales marketing uh, visual merchandising you know legal uh, 
so we had really like a deep understanding and the impact that we did in there in that company was really interesting it was really important for them you know like and that was like you know a really interesting uh, relationship that we built and we are really proud of the work yeah because you describe your work as you know but you basically you feel that um brands are at their best when they're when you feel that you can connect with them exactly so it's actually understanding the brand to, to deliver to deliver you know the, the message exactly we're working with a brand now called nude bar and it's like uh a, a black owned business uh, a woman of color that started that company from like her uh, bad experience in being a professional ballerina and not finding any uh, tights or shoes in her in the color of her skin right like so think about bringing and putting more labor than you are training for you know, into dyeing your own tights, uh, you know, coloring your own shoes on top of the training of a professional ballerina, right? Right. Uh, so she created that brand. Fast forward, we work with her to give like, you know, a great product, um, but we work with her to enhance her story and give her like, you know, like uh, a platform for her brand to expand, you know, and bring other stories like her into her brand and again the impact on her and on her brand is incredible you know like because we didn't invent what she had we didn't like create we just repackage it and rework with her to amplify what she had so these kind of things makes me and the yummy colors team like super happy and proud and we want to do more of that like, right uh, okay so but it's about creating an impact with mm -hmm. design exactly and you know so you, just going back to new york um you started working in fashion yes and you worked for a company where well, you worked for diane von Fustenberg. and what was that like in terms of like working with her and working in fashion <laughs> it was amazing like uh, it's again going back to the chance of life and you know like i work with this creative director in paris uh he really liked uh me and the work that we were doing but i haven't done an extensive work in fashion so when he got hired by diane von fustenberg and he knew i was in new york he was like we're trying to rebrand do you want to work with us and i went and i said listen i can totally do i don't have any f business any um uh, fashion experience they're like, let's try. So I go in front of Diane. Diane von Fustenberg is married to Barry Diller, right? It's like, is one of the most powerful family in America uh, in terms of like, you know, like uh, fame and, you know, like, so I meet her, great personality, bigger than life personality. Yeah. Never, never encounter as well, you know, this kind of personality. Yeah. And we had an immediate bond because I wasn't trying to impress her. I was like literally down to her and say, I never did this. I never like stuff. If you want, we can try. And he saw me like, you know, I started working at the office um, as a freelancer to prepare for, for the presentation. And she lived in, she lived on the fifth floor of the office. And I was staying, I was one of the few people staying until two, 3 a.m. 
to do my work. So the, the building was empty. And so sometimes she was coming down in her, in, in her pajama and we were having conversation of her sitting on the desk and me showing her like, you know, sketches and like, you know, mock-ups. And I was really like, you know, hey, I'm trying this. What do you think? Like it was very personable. And we always liked each other for that idea. You know, I was one of the few person I wasn't trying to impress her. I was like being you. being there for, you know, doing my job. Yeah. And uh, I always, you know, like other people were like bending over backwards to, you know, agreeing with her, pleasing her. And yes. I always voiced my disagreement with yeah. her, like, you know, politely when I wasn't in agreement. And she liked that, you know, like she was sometimes telling me like, you got to do it because I'm the boss. And I'm like, cool. OK, that's OK. But we always had this relationship. Um, and that was like something that I really enjoy for the years. You know, I can still, you know, text her or send her an email and ask her how she's doing. And she's answering me you know, within like half an hour because she's always on her iPad. Um, but it's beautiful. And I got so many experiences because, you know, it's a global company. I had to do projects in China. I had to do projects in Japan, in London, in Paris. You know, I did like the entire, I did with her, the entire 12 windows of Gallery Lafayette in Boulevard Osman. Uh, I worked in Pace Gallery Beijing, you know, I did a, a store in Ginza. And again, she gave me this opportunity to just like go with the flow and doing it, you know, so. Take the opportunity. Exactly. And I enjoyed it so much. I did a book uh, about her with Rizzoli, you know, like based on a LACMA exhibition uh, in LA. So it was really like. How long were you working with her? I worked for her like uh, four years, but uh, I did the f two years. And after I left, went into an agency, experiential agency. And after went back, you know, she we, we had like an, uh, a, a comeback. And she was he was like, she was like, do you want to be my VP of creative? So and I went back, you know, like to work for her for other two years. So so in total, six years, four, oh, four years, yeah, in yeah. total four years. <clears throat> and then what made you decide to, to, to you know, build um, yummy colors? It was at a time that after, after, after Diane Fusenberg, I was thinking about like, do I want to be a creative director for somebody else, for some other agency, or do I want to start like uh, something for myself? And so I was debating about like being like freelance again or being in house again uh, and, uh, and my partner, she was also like at the time that she wanted to freelance and we all, we met working together. Uh, so she's a designer. She's a designer too. And a part of Yummy Colors. Yeah. And uh, at that time we were saying we work well together. We want to both freelance. Why we don't start something together? That makes sense. Uh, so that was the goal. And the idea also was like, you know, we were both fed up with, you know, like other people telling us the way that we have to work, you know, like, and the method and the process. And we wanted to create our own, you know, work-life balance and work ethic, uh, this idea of impact into a company. Um, and in New York, it was easy to set up a business. Yes, because yeah. like, you know, once you get the green card, you move away from like a visa that you need to be sponsored. So after I think, I don't remember, four or five years, we apply for green card, we got the free green card. At that point, you're, you know, word opens up 
in terms of possibilities uh, as like an entrepreneur or like, you know, building a company, building everything. So we started and it was like just the two of us. And, you know, like after a year and a half, we hired our first project manager and, you know, the growth has been like uh, interesting in that sense. You okay, know, like, nice. And and your mission is to create resounding impacts with all your clients. Yeah, we say it's, we say it's like turning ideas into colorful impact. And uh, again, to be on, to be on brand, right? So I, I mean, I've seen, I saw your website. It is literally color. Isn't exactly. It? We just launched it two days ago, so it's really like an amazing. Like um, we are so happy about it. It's great. And and yummy. The name yummy. What? Oh, very very simple. Like uh, Denise and I were like you know when we were in Paris, we were doing like smaller artistic personal projects. You know, like and we start calling it yummy colors because. Our apartment was super colorful. I was eating a lot of cookies that Denise was baking, you know, like, uh, and uh, and so it was a fun name that we throw out like in Paris just for our side projects. And when we started the company, it came natural. It came like, you know, like we didn't have to think about a name. We're like, let's use Yummy Colors is there. We use it already, you know, and we haven't thought like more than five minutes about it. You know, we knew that that was like, you know, the right thing. And actually it was so polarizing. A lot of people, not a lot, a lot of people love it, right? But that we have encountered some clients or potential clients that they were like, Mm, we don't want to have an agency called Yummy Colors. Really? We don't want to be associated with a childish name like that. So, Are you serious? Yes, yes. Some people were like, you know, like... Uh, That's interesting. To a it? point, yes, that like a brand like paid us and after didn't want to have like us just because of the name. Not because of the concept was great, but they didn't want to be associated to a company name Yummy Colors. That, what does that make you think about the clients that, that say that to you? Oh, I'm happy that they don't want to be with they us. Work, yeah. yeah, because yeah. if you don't understand the fun and the idea, and also if you are so, you know what I mean? Like if you want to have somebody that has like a gravitas name, you are shallow, right? Yeah. And my opinion is like you don't have like, you don't judge people based on the work that they do. You judge them from like some superficial name. Sure, so sure. it's great that we don't have that client <laughs> because you don't want those superficial clients no, no. exactly we don't we don't care about people that they don't you know neither see the the fun and the oh. idea of like you know don't take ourselves too serious yeah or or the value you know aesthetic or appearances appearances more than the work that we can provide Exactly. So, so when you you know you're designing for for your clients, what's what do you have in mind? What's the most important thing when you're creating something? I think we are trying to like you know like a create the most impact for the client, right? And the idea is like working with them and understanding thoroughly what they need. You know, we know that they need like branding, they need design, but that's not what we are looking for. At mostly at the beginning, we are looking at like, what are your goals? What are your objectives? What are, where do you want to go? What, do, what is the problem that you are trying to solve mm. here? Like, uh, is it sales? It's, it's like engagement. Is it like, you know, telling a story? So we spend a lot of time at the beginning, try to understand the behind the scene of the re of the branding or the design work that we have to do. Okay. Um, and how do you two work as a team? I mean, because you're, you're partners outside of your work, but... 
I'm usually we're three partners right now and like you know I'm mostly taking like the strategic approach of the client and after Denise and Connie are like usually taking the creative direction of the design uh, the design part so I'm more like at the beginning of the process and they're more like later in the process so we we ch we we take turn to lead the projects in different phases uh, oh, I see but yeah, we we start with a strategy, strategic work, and understanding what they what we can do for them. What the, what is the impact that they need and the shift that they need? And sometimes the logo is just a byproduct of that. You know, like and I was saying to the students, and in general, I say to everybody, I think branding is part therapy and part dating, right? Yes. So think about merging these two idea where you walk through the client through a therapy session yes. of like you know where are they what are they needing you know what is wrong with the relationship with their customers etc at the same time it's also like you know like kind of like a rediscovery or how do you put ourselves out in the world like similarly to a dating app you know how do you repackage yourself yes. to be appealing you know like so i always joke and say is is in between a dating app and a therapy session yeah that's <laughs> good one i like it and 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 some of the clients that you i mean you mentioned one a ballerina so mm -hmm. give, give some exam other examples of how you create an impact and and sort of you know connect with them in terms of making an impact yeah as i said for them is like uh, it was about like you know taking her personal story and how do we bring that personal story into like a platform for our brands and so we work with her to her company is called nude bar and so we create a mission statement that says uh, that uh, that says to nude bar mission is to represent having every human being uh every human experience sorry okay and so so, so sort of into you know diversity and inclusion exactly yeah. to the to the max because the 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 company is about talking you know what nude means to you you know redefining this concept that nude is one shade and and uh, you know it is but it's it, but it's different shades exactly it's normalized yeah. right now that you know until now that nude was like this pink or beige you know representing you know mostly white skin and now they are expanding this idea and trying to redefine this idea that like, you know, nude is not just one shade, but nude is your personal shade, mm. is your personal hue. Yeah. And it's personal to you because, yeah. you know, like everyone has a different New, skin, skin exactly, but also has a different experience as a different, you know, point of view on that part. So we are trying to bring this idea, you know, like both the personal experience that you have with your skin, but also the personal experience that you have by being nude, right? So some people feel comfortable being naked. Some people feel ashamed. Some people feel, you know, they need to hide. Some people are like happily and in the, in the open, you know, so again, another personal experience, right? Like, so not two people feel the same being naked, you know, like some people feel exposed, some people feel vulnerable. Mm. So this idea is like, you know, to create and celebrate personal experience uh, that they are like either attached to the color of your skin or, uh, you know, that you feel uh, that you feel on an everyday life. 
so that platform it was like you know very powerful for her and also it's powerful now because she can tell the story of her clients you know like in a very candid meaningful way exactly yeah and actually i mean, I sort of remember do you remember the benetton um uh, sort of campaign when yeah that, i mean that was one of the first that really made a difference wasn't it back in it was it was because it was like starting including this idea that there is not just one color there is like different idea and different shade of colors the things that happened it was to me like i think it was a little bit more performative on the idea of like it was provocational mm. it wasn't to celebrate the person as uh, a person of a different experience it was just like okay you know the difference exists you know mm. like and in situation that very was very provocational yeah. and i think if you see that same campaign now yeah you know it will be like a little bit more like even more controversial you know 20 years later because yeah. now we start having this idea of like inclusion as a, and, and diversity at a different level definitely you know like definitely. so i think yeah people have said it's become everyday everyday life you exactly. know it's not i mean benison was one of the first to actually make a point yeah. of it because i mean I, nobody was choosing different colors in, exactly in their um, company or in their design so, but, but, um, so these are the sort of clients you work with mm -hmm. and you're very much sort of, you know, sharing the, the sort of, um, the story of the client and also the kind of connecting with the customer experience. Yes. And actually this is what you're sort of teaching at Harbour Space. Yes. How did you sort of come about, you know, let's talk, we'll talk a little bit about your teaching and mm -hmm. then I'd like to know more about, you know, where you feel the brand the design experience is going kind of thing but let's just talk about your experience at harbour space and your course that you're teaching right now mm -hmm. and how you came across harbour space because it was obviously through one <laughs> of your connections exactly another another chance right like I chance met, meeting chance meeting i met irene and An anton and irene uh, I I never tried to do the other way, Irene and Anton. It's such no. a, it's such a brand name, Anton and Irene. That is like, I, I met Irene and Anton in uh, in New York through our common friends, and we decided to grab a coffee. And since then, we stayed in touch, you know, like and uh, never worked together per se, but always like you know, like. Um, uh, pick each other brains uh, and and once in a while you know getting a dinner or a drinks or a, or a coffee so fast forward to last year when we decided to relocate to Denmark uh, and Irene I guess now she's here in Barcelona um, my, my cousin moved to Barcelona because of her job and so I started introducing to all the people that I knew here to to help her you know like uh, feeling more at home and irene wrote me back and say hey you are in copenhagen do you want to teach so that's how i got in uh, across and, our and, space and this was quite funny because you had written as you told me before we started recording that you had written that you wanted to teach on your bucket list exactly i have like a bucket list that i do every year like uh uh, mostly than most more than a bucket list is a wish list because I write it and after I hide it until the end of the next year and 
I read it and, you know, I forget sometimes what I wrote and I, some things, it doesn't become prescriptive. It becomes more like, you know, like a wish list. It's if it happens, it happens if it doesn't. And, uh, and that was like one of the, that I remember this year, but I wasn't actively doing anything to try to teach. So it was, it but was in really, your subconscious. It was there. Obviously. Probably was there. Yes. Yeah. And you, and when you when you sort of you know think about just going back to the bucket list, I mean, you write a letter to Santa every year as yes. well. Yes. What what do you, is that like? Kind of how, how where you see yourself going, or in terms of writing to Santa, or it was it's mostly like if you want. I grew up like you know in the Catholic world, and there is a belief about you know like Jesus and everything, and so and then sometimes I joke about this idea of like. Why people don't believe more in Santa? Why people say, oh, Santa doesn't exist, right? So I started believing, I started writing a letter to Santa in a way that is more like, you know, this kind of like ironic, you know, like person that gives you like, uh, brings you gift for the next, the next year, right? Yeah. And so instead of bringing me like, you know, a train or a PlayStation, you know, it can bring me like teaching or a home or whatever you know i go yeah. i go crazy you know like on the on the on the list and sometimes like completely unattainable just for the fun for the fun of it you know and see what if it happens you know yeah, like yeah. Uh, do, do these things happen sometimes yeah and how many things would you say i mean like when you look back at your bucket list how many of those bucket list do you feel every year is different you know sometimes it's like a third sometimes it's half sometimes it's three quarters you but know, it's good like, though it's yeah good. and it's also good to write down your thoughts on paper rather than just carrying it in exactly. our heads because I think a lot that's the thing with a lot of creatives I mean you know they have so many ideas that actually it helps when you write them down mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I have a journal next to my bed so I started doing that a little bit more and it is like a stream of consciousness rather than like you know real sketches or real ideas it's more about to you know like a dump right but going back to the wish list I think it's like important to say that it's not just material things right it's more it's also like you know like emotion relationship you know stuff that you want to like stop doing or keep doing you know like it's a little bit of like you know like it's not just like oh i want to i want a sports car or i want to like you know yeah, like yeah, something yeah. is really like no it's writing it's writing what's in your head exactly and and there's a thing called bullet point journaling mm -hmm. are you aware of that no no, it's like a form of like, I don't know, being very specific in bullet yeah. points. Nice. But it's, it, was, it suddenly came about, I think, in the last two years or mm -hmm. so. But it's being kind of more specific with your with your points. Yeah. But um, yeah, so tell us about the course that you're teaching at Harbour Space and, you know, what what's involved in, you know, building customer experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, I got inspired by like a, a friend of mine who is teaching at Parsons in New York. And he invited great, great school exactly, and yeah. he invited me for like you know the finals of his branding class, and he was asking his student to uh, pick a brand in their country again similar to Arbor Space, very international. Pick a brand that was like out of business um, from their country and bring it back to life, right? So I really like that idea of the. Um, of the the class he was very much on the design side not much on the like uh, strategic uh -huh. element so i called him and i say hey can i repurpose your idea right i didn't want to steal it off the bat so he told me yes and um so when i thought about the the syllabus for here i was thinking about like okay i maybe don't want to do 
uh, out of business brand. So I give the students the option to choose either in business or out of business uh, brand from their country that is beloved, that does a great service or product and, uh, and start a rebranding. Uh, or in case is like, is that out of business, how do you bring it back in 2021? So most of them choose an, an on business uh, brand. Some, other, some very few choose like an out of business, but it's a nice challenge anyway. And so what I try, what I'm trying to do here is bringing them through the motion of not just creating a design or a brand architecture, a, a logo or a brand architecture system from a visual perspective, but also starting way back where you, we start from like, you know, auditing the brand, uh, competitive analysis, uh, mission, vision, principle mm. of the brand, um, creative platform. And after we were going to go into like, a quick redesign. And as I said to them, it's very much like the meaning is more important than the execution for this time. This process takes, you know, like at best six months. Uh, so we're trying to do everything in three weeks. So of course, we're not going to make something, you know, incredibly but how, long does, how long does it usually take to come? Six months at, be at best, you know, like, oh, uh, I see. so at best with like, you know, six, seven, 10 people involved, you know, they are one person that does everything for three weeks. So the goal of the class is not that you are doing a amazing rebranding is to understand the and concept, the concept of each step. Oh, right? I see. So for, for, for me, and I keep repeating in every class is like, the meaning is more important than the execution in this case, right? So when you are going through, I want that they think about the thought process to move the needle of the brand and creating impact in mm. the decision that they're making yeah. rather than, you know, design the perfect logo. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you're designing a brand with a purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And the purpose and the thought process that they put in is even more important than the final result. Okay. Okay. And what do you like about teaching? Uh, you'll learn your, you've, this is your first course. Yes. I like the engagement, right? I like the fact that I have 18 minds challenging me and 18 minds challenging my assumptions, um, from a, like a definitely younger <laughs> perspective, but also from a pure perspective, they never did that. Right. So I, I'm doing this for like now the past 20 years this is probably their first project. So when they tell me this mission doesn't work, I'm my first reaction is to say, you don't know anything, right? Like, uh, but in another point is like, oh, wait, let's discuss together. What do you, what do you don't see? Because they are also like, I treat them like as mini clients, right? Mm. So I have to do that every time with a client. I need to come up with a concept. I need to explain, I need to explaining well for them to feel comfortable to adopt it. So if I present projects or if I present other, like, you know, my classes that they don't understand what is, what is that I'm not doing right for them to understand. Right. Mm. Like, so it's a challenge in that sense. And is allow me to reframe yeah. my mindset exactly. on certain, on certain elements, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's uh, like, a re it's refreshing your exactly. mind. Exactly. Yeah. I can understand that. So, in a, so that's the thing you're, you're sort of learning from the students as well exactly. as teaching. 
And why Harbour Space? What do you what do you love about being in Harbour Space, and is particularly the students? I think I think it's the international element, you know, like and the fact that they are they they chose to be here. Uh, that was my biggest like you know fear that I was like, ah, oh, maybe they're not engaged, maybe they don't want to participate, you know, like uh, that would have been like a completely different experience and if that was the case I would probably not repeat it but the engagement and the fact that they want to be here they want to be like you know learning and these three weeks I think it's a smart system right yeah. I wish I had it when I yeah. when I was in school because first of all you talk with somebody you know like I know that I know a bunch of teachers here you know somebody that is in the industry is active now you know I'm using like clients that we're, I'm working right now as a case studies mm. to show them like, you know, the difficulty of presentation, what the feedback system is, you know, all these elements. So we're talking on real projects that I'm like actually working on. Um, and this idea of having three weeks of like super intense focus work, it's really beautiful because you can really dive in being you know like uh, immersed and being like you know it's a full experience rather than having like a class this week a class next week you know in meanwhile you have 20 other things and so connecting the dots every time is so difficult right at least it was for me when i was yeah. in school yeah it was like where where was i a week ago what, yeah. what was i doing i need to remember right yeah yeah here is really like you know uh, and we are doing like I'm, I'm giving them templates so they don't have to think about how to present but they have to fill the template so they, they they focus on the meaning again and not the execution of the of the exercise and they're building so they they already start seeing in a week you know their like presentation and starts like growing you know in different steps and so do you think building a, a brand with purpose I mean that's what it does it gives it more um, of a sort of, uh, you know, understanding to the to the customer. In general, yes. I mean, yeah. and I think every brand has a purpose, right? Mm. Like, uh, but when you design it from purpose, do you think that makes a difference? It makes a total difference yeah. because you can affect much more than just you know. Again, it's more than a design. It's like a a language. Is like an experience. Is like something that is more solid and holistic and and right and nowadays you cannot do you know branding has evolved um so much because yeah. of the different channels because of the ability of people to react to the brand live right and so you have comment session you have review session you have twitter you have like all these elements that if you if i don't like the brand you can hear from me right now right as soon as i don't like it so brands needs to be more solid more grounded and it's not just one element it's like uh, the full experience your supply chain matters your uh, sourcing matters you know like the ceo behavior matters you know like everything in the brand now become a brand experience so every element not just your logo not just your color not just your content but you know like who is investing in your company matters you know because is now everything is public information so every customer can react to every entry points right mm. so that's what i'm trying to tell them like you know 
nobody cares anymore about just the colors you know mm. of your brand or the logo mm. it, they cares you know like uh, is your sourcing sustainable mm. is your supply mm. chain clean you know like all these elements that can affect your brand as much as a, go a good or a bad logo Definitely. right yeah so but so brand design i mean is i mean all companies let's say that are becoming because they're becoming more conscious the design is also um, more, con you know, you have to integrate that into the design. Exactly. Uh, as you say, it's a 360 kind of holistic view. View and approach. Yeah, which is far more interesting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And where do you feel the future of design is going or brand design is going? Do you feel it's very much based on brand experience? I think exactly, yeah. I think it's going to continue just to evolve in this idea where design is just one of the components, but you have to look at the brand as an ecosystem of messaging and you have to like bring parameters and you know like uh, a cohesive messaging that is also i use the word sustainable for the brand right like in a way that, that how many brands have failed in the past years because they have like a, a very high level you know, like uh, messaging, but after they are not doing or living by their values and all of a sudden customers start pointing it out and they're like, you are not diverse, you're not inclusive enough, you are not like, you know, sustainable or transparent, your supply chain is terrible, you know, like because there is this knowledge and hurt the brand a lot, right? Mm. So that's the part that I'm interested in and that I think is the evolution, you know, like, uh, I remember Dolce & Gabbana like doing racist uh, campaign in China and all of a sudden, you know, like all the influencers in China uh, backed off. Uh, the, the Shanghai uh, Fashion Week didn't want them to like, you know, like do the show. Uh, they lost so much money through a campaign that mm. could have been you know, with the good representation, the good thoughts, uh, the, the, the right people behind it could have been like you know a different element so i'm happy that these things happens and i'm happy that they're losing money you know so people are start getting more attentive you know they have to change their messages they have to change their practices you know so they have to start including representation in the room to not just because but to create a messages that has a, a, a more rounded you know and real uh, impact oh, i see so dolce and cabana did you think they learned from i mean in terms of that when you look at their campaigns now i don't know if they learned they're italian right so it's yeah. like a slow slow process <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know if they learned about the experience but in a way i don't know if they're learning to change but they learned that they need to be careful right yeah so in both cases I think it's a success uh, because next time they're not going to do the same mistake. Yeah. Right? And so if it's like by, you know, becoming more empathetic or by I don't want to lose money, it's still a good, <laughs> yes. a good lesson. No, right? definitely. I think it's good to show these, you know, like yeah. examples of case studies, which, which, you know, you have to show the, the bad examples and the good examples. Exactly. And in terms of your values as, as uh, yummy colors, what are your principal values? I think it's like, you know, like one, one of that is like uh, dismantling the faults 
right? And we're trying hard and I'm trying, like I give an example to the students. I used a lot the sentence, hey guys. And I tried to correct myself and say, and then try to shift it into a more gender neutral idea. And so I start the class and say, hey guys, how are you doing? And I stopped and I say, sorry, hey people, how are you doing? <laughs> and they, that sparked the conversation in the class. And they're yeah. saying, one person said, oh, but now guys lost the gender connotation. And I was like, okay, let's try again. Hey girls, how are you doing? <laughs> how do you feel about that, right? Yeah. If guys and girls lost the connotation, I should be able to shift from one and the other and nobody will feel strange, right? And so all of a sudden they were like, oh no, but you know, like, so this idea of like, you know, we are wired in certain way and, and with words, with behavior, with biases. And it's hard, you know, I'm not saying that we're, we're perfect. And so it, they're so ingrained in us that it takes a moment to undo all this work. And yeah. so we're trying to do that, you know, like uh, at the agency collaboratively. So we include everyone, you know, from the intern to everyone. And so we go through what we write and everybody, everybody in the team can point out and say, this is problematic. I don't think this is right, you know, because first of all, we have different experiences, but also we have different point of view. Also, you know, maybe I don't catch it because it's so ingrained in me that is like, you know, kind of, and so we're trying to hold each other accountable, you know, and the culture is very much like you are free to correct me anytime because, you know, this is what we are for. Mm. Um, so it's really like interesting and uh, and like, you know, a lot of learning on how we can take away this default that they are like based on us. You know, a lot of the time we're trying not to use the word right, you know, because who decides what what is right and what is wrong? Yeah, you know, yeah. we're trying not to to use, you know, like this is the right branding, you yeah, know, like yeah. we're trying to avoid word like right or wrong, yeah. good and bad, you know, yeah. like, because we're trying to be sensitive on like, who is the decision maker around, you know, all these principles and all these elements. Right. So, so in terms of, I mean, during, cause you moved from New York to Copenhagen during mm -hmm. COVID. Yes. So did you, you then suddenly as a team have to become remote? Yes. How, how, how has that impacted your, your kind of working? I mean, we have to start become remoting in New York when we were all in New York, right? Because it was so bad that it's like, you know, nobody wants to take a subway. Nobody wants it to go out, you know? So we started in New York to be all remote. And after we realized that, you know, nobody cares where you are, so we can move around, you know, in different places. If you want, I think this is one of the blessings of COVID, right? And like, uh, and I know it's not a good things to say. <laughs> uh with everything that happened but it shifted five years of technology five years of working and five years of behavior into six months mm. and so everyone was like uh not only ready but also become accepting you know now the clients you know we have worked before with clients in israel clients in um Australia, Germany, you know, and it was just just because people were in Israel, were in, in things that it was acceptable to do remote me meetings and uh, stuff like that. Now, if a person is in New York, 
you don't need to meet, right? So this idea of like work from everywhere is becoming acceptable. Yeah, and it, bec it's it great, become like, it? you know, the things you are missing the, the, the things I think that is missing on that is the five minutes chit chat that you have, you know, yeah. when you go and get your coffee, you know, the, fi the, the morning, you know, when you take off your coat and you just have like, you know, like this 10 minutes, the walk to the subway, you know, these kind of small moments where you start talking that they are not planned. Because right now in Zoom, you have to even plan the small moments. You know, yeah. yesterday I wanted to talk with like one of my designers. I know she loves uh, a certain music group and they are releasing an album after six years. I have to write her on Slack and say, hey, can we jump on a call? about you know something that is not work related so we have to spend 10 minutes you know like chatting about the new album you which know, group was this uh, modest mouse no like, modest uh, mouse okay so they're releasing an album after six years so we were discussing about that part and stuff but we had to schedule that discussion right and like uh, so it was kind of like if that was in the office, probably I would have mentioned it during lunch, you know, like, or during stuff. So the, the part of the physical element that is missing is this kind of like simple, spontaneous conversation that, you know, that now, you have in an office. Yeah. And what your, your uh, team, are they spread out? Yeah, mostly like, uh, mostly New York, like, uh, are you still getting, so you're getting clients in New York now and then here in Europe because you've moved to Europe? Right? Yes, we are getting, it's not specifically to New York. We are getting clients in US, uh, but we have clients in London. We have clients in Germany. We have clients in Israel. We have clients like, uh, we are getting more and more inbound from Australia, New Zealand because of Afterpay that we did. So it's literally like, from everywhere. Wow. And and the Afterpay, that was that was a global global company. Global company. But starting in like they uh, born and starting in uh, in Australia. So uh -huh. strong Australian roots. I see. So having left New York, I mean, you miss it, obviously. And yes. then but are you enjoying being back in I mean, you know, your partner lives, yeah. is from Copenhagen. Are you enjoying being in Copenhagen? Yes, I mean, I I can I'm waiting for the post-COVID experience again, you know, and I've been as a tourist for many times, but I never lived there, so it's my first time living as a residence, a resident, so it was going to be a new experience for me. I enjoy being in Europe, you know, and what the US told me about it like uh, taught me it was just like being in a I treat Europe as a country now like yeah. you know because the size of the US you yeah. know like doing when doing a trip like New York LA is six hours so right now I am like there is no country in Europe within six hours six hours as you're out of Europe right yeah so right now for me like coming to Barcelona going to Italy going to Berlin is something that is like it's like me going to like, you know, Philadelphia, right? So yeah. it's really like, I, I'm, I'm still in the mindset of the US. So treating Europe as, as like a big country that I can go everywhere, it makes me happy to be back. Yeah. Because I know that I have Paris at an hour and a half, Barcelona at three hours, Milan too, you know, like all these elements that I, it's, at reach, you know. But, but is it, are you kind of like enjoying the fact that you've got the variety? Yes. Again. Yes. Yeah, because it, when you were living in the US, it was very much US kind exactly. of focus. 
So here you're kind of getting inspired in a, in a different kind yeah. of way. And especially in Copenhagen with the design there mindset yeah the design mindset but i think i think like you're i mean i think barcelona is also becoming you know there's lots of great designers here and i think it's becoming a great hub you know like london like london like copenhagen like you know there is there is a big design culture in barcelona in my opinion and a lot of great people here that is becoming a new hub not that's new, but it's like becoming a, a, a design hub. Is it? Where, where, so where the ma main design hubs, apart from New York or whatever, but um, where else? Which other cities? I mean, London. Uh, Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv, I don't know. Uh, at Tel Aviv, there's a lot of like um, tech startup very powerful tech startup like uh i always think about like uh, the if you follow basketball and nba uh and with covid a lot of their like technology and the camera movement uh, mm -hmm. that they are like in stadium in basketball stadium uh come from like uh, uh israeli technology uh so there is a lot of like you know tech startup starting there more than design in my opinion but like design polls is always like you know london is one of the major one uh i think berlin is having uh, a come a comeback Definitely you know like berlin, yes. uh, barcelona is good you know like uh i think australia also has like a lot of good uh option in that in that in that like uh, region uh, in terms of like good designers and again i think we are also a little bit narrow-minded you know I, I know a lot of great great designers that are brazilian you know like uh, so it's really like it doesn't really matter where you're from but i think the city where you are from where you have like again the connections you know like uh, allows you to be uh, more inspired and more like into the community you know like i think in new york you know i i would say new york but i think that people that i know in new york there is a lot of like people from everywhere in the world right like look at anton and irene yeah. like you know look at like uh there's a lot of people that i know from brazil from like you know like germany yeah uh china you know like there is a lot of like different people from different places you know yes. korea you know like it's just an aggregator that's what I, that's the word aggregator, i was trying yes, i was exactly. trying to find but you're very much influenced by the people you surround yourself with. oh yeah yeah. I, lo I love meeting people. I love yeah. being in conversation. Great. And the last thing I want to ask you is that you've, you've got a display of tattoos on your arms, which obviously people can't see, but can you just tell them a little bit about them? Um, you you, I don't, start, know, you I don't start, know your uh, your left from your right. I don't know my left to my right. Yeah, I have written left on the left and right on the right. And actually, <laughs> Denise always tell me like... Uh, you shouldn't have written left and right on the bottom of your heart. You should have written it on the top because sometimes you look at it and you take longer to look at the bottom. And if it was on the top, it would have been faster. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story. I started designing my tattoo because, again, I think tattoo is art is something that is very personal and is like I can't choose a tattoo out of a book. Uh, I need to have something that I know is unique to me um and so every every piece has a small story every piece has like you know for example i have tattooed a screw next to my um wrist because i got an accident and i have a screw inside 
my left wrist, right? So there is a little bit of like little stories around each one, but I really like this idea of like, uh, I, I have a coffee uh, pot on my right. Because you like coffee. Because I love coffee, but it's inside a tree because, you know, like I think it's like the coffee tree and the tree is under the water because, uh, you know, and in, on the tree there is like a paper boat, but it's a paper boat under the water. So it creates an imaginary world and a dream world that reminds me, you know, like that nothing is set and I can always, you know, like Create. change and switch things and switch the meaning of things. Definitely, yeah, and and create stories, which exactly. is what your your arms are doing. And the Luna, the Lunas. Oh, uh, is that how I call my wife? Uh, I call her Luna. Ah, <laughs> so you've got two Lunas. Exactly. Great. Well, um, it's been very nice talking to you, Diego, on, on today's podcast. And you know, I can definitely get a sense that you know you do things with meaning and purpose, as your as Yummy Colors represents. And also, you know, you're very sort of, uh, yeah, conscious of your surroundings and opportunities. And, it, you know, it's led you to where you are today. And uh, it's been fascinating, you know, hearing your story. Thank so you. Thank, thank, you. Thank, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me here. And look forward to hearing more from you and learning from you at Harbour Space. Thank you. Okay. This was another episode of the See You Tomorrow podcast introducing you to brilliant minds and ideas. Find us on the YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, see you next Thursday.